Amen. Amen. Good morning. Amen. Amen. That's right. Thank Him for that. That's right. And we thank Him this morning for uh, that victory. And as Brother Sam mentioned, for ten years of faithful gospel preaching here in this place. And, and many others before. We're so thankful for everyone's here today. Thank God for your, uh, just for your presence. Your interest in hearing the Word of God this morning. Amen. I pray that the Word of God will yep. feed you, right. lift you up, and give you something. It's not my words. It's not our words. It's not our intellect or uh, oratory. It is the power in the Word of God that can speak to your life, your heart, your condition, whatever it is. Because I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. But God does. And in His Word, you will find answers to whatever that situation is. I woke this morning and just laid in bed before I got up for a little while, and I thought about the sermon I heard last night begin to feed me. Right, right. I mean, it didn't just begin then, but uh, immediately as I woke, I thought about these words: "Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you." I think the inverse is also true. You run away from God. And you'll never find him with your back torn turned toward him. He will pursue, but as long as your back's toward him, you run. You never find him. Only when you turn and see. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. So I just thought this morning I wanted to share a few uh, thoughts with y'all about the double-minded man. And I want to talk to you about what this passage says, the double-minded man. He mentions, this is reading, by the way, from the book of James, and now I'm turning to chapter 1. If anybody wants to go back home and read these texts, I certainly encourage you to do that. Book of the epistle of James, chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <clears throat> you would think that, um, let's, uh, it's in my mind, the way I see this, we have no doubt testimonies and experiences in this room of people in three conditions. And I think that's what's described here in God's Word. On one, over here, you've got the, the soul who heard the Word of God maybe at a young age or when they first heard or first came of age to be wow. conscious of God's dealing with them, the commandments of God and the laws of God, and they are immediately gravitate to that. There's some drawing to... And they seek God with all their heart. They abandon everything, want nothing else but to be sanctified and give their life to Christ. Many times at a young age or right away when they become conscious of the Gospel. For others, they may not have heard the Gospel, but when they do, it catches and takes root. And there is good ground in that heart. And immediately that individual turns their life to God and is sanctified and lives in that state for the rest of their life. They follow God. They give their life to God. They give their resources, their time, their service, and they're a burning light to the world. 
throughout their whole life through, and God takes them all the way to the end, faithful all the way through. And thank God for that testimony. We've got testimonies in this building of such people. On the other side, you have people who seem to have here, maybe they know the gospel, have heard the gospel, no interest. Don't have any interest in the gospel and have much interest in their own pleasure, their own desire, living their own life, going their own way, being their own man or own woman, and creating, indulging in whatever it is in their life that is of pleasure and interest to them with seeming little regard or concern for God's laws, God's ways, or what the Word of God says. No interest. No interest in the Word of God. So you, this is... This is Two extremes. Right. And you've got uh, people that are love their sin. They don't have any interest in getting out of it. They're not apologetic for it. They're, they like it. And then you have the people who would, not, who would give their life before they sold out and gave anything for their experience. Wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. In the middle of these two groups, you've got, I think, the majority of people. This vast multitude of double-minded people who seem, and, and, and there's probably varying degrees. Sometimes people have, you know, for the most part, they do their own thing, go their own way, indulge in their own pleasures. But on occasion, no doubt have some interest in being good, some desire whether they recognize it's for God or not. But... They, have, they know God's Word. They've heard God's Word. Maybe they attend church on occasion. They have gotten... You also have people who are maybe full-time church members. They have a, uh, a more pious lifestyle. But at times they're drawn back over here to their own lusts and pleasures. And so I think in, in, in all of these types of experiences make up the double-minded man. One of the things that Christ taught and, and when He was here in His, in His teachings, He mentioned the phrase that if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So, according to James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want to share with you all an experience that I was thinking about. There is one particular character in Scripture that jumps to my mind when I think about the double-minded man. We find him in the book of Genesis. And he becomes kind of a, uh, he's kind of a subplot in this story for a while, but then he makes his uh, way onto the scene in Genesis chapter 13 in grand fashion. Before we have we get here, the Lord has called this certain man named Abram, and he's called him to come out and promised him blessings and given him. Um, he was blessed with riches, he had wealth, he had cattle, he had, and, and the Lord called him to leave the land of his nativity, the land he called home, and come away into the land of Canaan. And he didn't even really know where he was going. God just said, the land I'm going to show you. And he wanted him to come. Abram had a nephew, and his name was Lot. Lot's father had passed away when he was a young man. And no doubt, Abram being his elder uncle, had 
and, and being a man of means and influence, had taken Lot under his wing. And he had been more or less like a son to him. And, but Lot was not really his son. But while he knew that that man was a righteous man, he loved Abram. He realized he respected him. He knew his God. He knew that there was a, um, something special. And so when Abram leaves, Lot decides he would leave with him. And so he also leaves the land of his nativity and the rest of his family and goes with Abram. And they go into this land. Well, no doubt he had been schooled and um, Abram had taught him all kinds of things. And Lot himself began to increase and to prosper. And he accumulated his own flocks and his own herds following the example of Uncle Abram. And not only that, but he was a, the Scripture says, a righteous man. He was a just man. He loved that which he knew Abram had a relationship with God. He loved it. He respected it. But what we find is that there comes a time when they are separated and they have to part. And you see that though Lot loved his uncle and he loved his uncle's God, he didn't really know him like Abram did. Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife. This is reading Genesis chapter 13. And all that he had and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, and to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, and the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. So a little uh, confrontation comes up. And though these men are very friendly, they were, had a large multitude of cattle and, and herdsmen in a relatively small area. And they decide the best thing to do. We don't want any conflict, we don't want any strife, we don't want any competition between one another, what we'll have to do, we'll just spread out, we'll separate. we got plenty of places to go. And Abram tells Lot, listen to this, he said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand... Then I will go to the right. Thou wilt depart to the right hand. Then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceeding. 
And so they, Lot makes his choice. And Lot looked at this situation like uh, many people do. And he looked at the best land. He had, he wanted to increase his herd, and this was the best possibility for him to do that. Right. He had uh, well-watered land here or a uh, uh, hillside of sorts over here. And Abram has told him, whichever, it, it doesn't matter to me. You go, you, you pick. Whichever one you'd like is fine, and I'll go the other way. And so Lot makes a decision. And what he did not consider was that the people and the influence that they would have on him when he made his trip before he ever made such a decision. See, he got away from Abram. And though he maintained a sense of piety and righteousness, and he was... You know, appalled with what he saw. The scripture says it vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He was he was grieved in his heart with what he saw, but he didn't leave. He stayed. And over a period of time, this wicked influence began to pull and to call. And it wasn't before you go too far down the Scriptures, you find that Lot is not just flanked out here in the plains beside of Sodom, but he's inside the city. I don't know what the uh, geography exactly was like, but from what the Scriptures tell us, you give us the idea that there's this watered plain and the river, and there's cities along the plain before you get to the mountain. And that's where the uh, population was doing well. It was the agricultural center. It was a wonderful, fruited, vast, a great place to, to live. And it was growing and it was yeah. prospering. The problem was the wickedness of the place was yes. so great. When the Lord finally, after a period of time, the immorality in Sodom and in Gomorrah reached a point that God was so nauseated with what He saw and said there was such a defilement of His laws that He had given to man of what had been right and what had been good. He had no option. He had given them plenty of time to repent. He had, they had no other option. He decided He would destroy the city. Why did He destroy the city? And I think this is important for us to understand. We've got to realize that God is... Now, God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. God is a, He's one of mercy. His mercies are everlasting. How would He just pour out fire and, and completely destroy civilians? And this is a very controversial point in, in warfare. Whether, you know, there comes a point in the striving against nations or armies against army, and at some point there's a line crossed and all the civilians are fair game too. And that is called a war crime, well, to some. And, and then they're, so why, why would God, the righteous, just, true God, pour out His wrath in such a way that fire would come down on people in the city? You would say, well, there was some innocent people in the city, no doubt. No. No, there wasn't. Abram tried. He thought there might be some innocence in there. That would get, and, he, and God told him he would go and look. They would look and see. 
He said if there was any, he got him down to, if there's only 10 people in this whole city that are righteous, I won't destroy it. I'll save the whole city. And he could not find him. All he could find was a lot. A lot. And he told him, him and his wife, get out. You better leave. Here's why. Because God, because he's righteous and because he's true, he must, listen to me, he must punish sin. He has to or he's not righteous. He's not just anymore. I mean, how would you... Let's, the good example now be a politician. Supposedly that is uh, executing the law. What if you were able to slip a bribe or a deal here under the table and you got a special exemption, a special privilege? Right. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. right. Is it right? No. 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 It's not just. It's It's corrupt. It is. It's corrupt. And the more corruption you find in in a system of government, the less uh, efficient it functions. And eventually it just doesn't function at all. God is just. God is a righteous judge. Therefore, because His laws are violated, they must be punished. Sodom had to go. Gomorrah had to go. The cities of the plain would be utterly destroyed without remnant, without they not left one stone upon another, burned up to ashes. Abram looked out and he said, "The city, the smoke of the city, ascended up to heaven as the smoke of a furnace." It was completely total destruction, and it was a righteous, loving, merciful, compassionate God that destroyed them. And I want you all to understand this. It, sin is not to be taken lightly. He will punish sin. He has to. He has to. Everyone. Everyone you've committed, will, you will give an account for in the day of judgment. There came... Alright, so the Lord has decided... I'm skipping a lot of stuff here in the interest of time. He's decided He has to destroy Sodom. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. He pressed upon them greatly, and they turned into him and entered into his house. And he made a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. I think he had some idea these were good men. These were special men. See, Lot was away from Abram, but he hadn't forgotten everything. He's a double-minded man. He, he's better than all this vile and filth he's living with. But is he really? He's still there. He didn't leave. And he just did not have the, in his own relationship with God, he didn't have the strength to stand in that hour of temptation. Because his own experience, he was kind of hanging on the coattails of Uncle Abram. And I'm I'm a little sympathetic. If you ever had, some of y'all may have had somebody in your life, a godly mother or grandmother or family member, someone who really impressed you. You knew they knew God. You knew they were righteous. They pointed you to Christ. They let, and while you're with them, you're in good hands. But what happens when you're by yourself, when you're away from their influence? Maybe they're taken away. Maybe they're called away. They're gone. 
And, and after their death, you find a little wandering. And this is what we're finding with, with this man named Lot. And I don't know how much of this to read. Um, <clears throat> Here's what happens. The men said unto Lot, Hast thou any here besides son-in-law and thy sons or thy daughters? Whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up! Get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked to his sons-in-law. And they scoffed at him and, oh, get out of here, old man. And so when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot. And they saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he... See, ever heard of guilty by association? <laughs> God's calling for them to get out. Yes. Don't stay. Yeah. While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and a hold upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful unto him. See, he's merciful. He was a God of mercy. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. So Lot is... They drug him out. They had to grab his... They said, get out of the city. And he was concerned that... He knew they were going... But what is wrong with this man? Why doesn't he... Why did he... What's he doing there in the first place? And in the other place, why doesn't he leave? Now the angels are coming and saying they're going to destroy the city. And they actually grab him by the hand and his wife. And they're walking out. And they set him outside the city. And this is what they say. Listen. And it came to pass when they brought them forth, he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. So right here, they've given, he's given them four instructions. Escape for thy life. He tells him, no, don't look back. Don't look back behind you. Go don't dwell in all the plain, lest thou be consumed. Go to the mountain, lest you be consumed. Remember, they're in the big flat valley. The mountains are way over there. I have probably some peaks in the distance, but that's where he says, get out of here. It's going to be bad. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape into the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Now, this is, this is a spiritual lesson and application to souls. And you and I have all, you've encountered people that in this state of uncertainty, so unwilling to completely give all and break loose and surrender all to God. They're afraid of what might be on the other side. I'm scared. This is my comfortable spot. I don't want to leave it. And I'm afraid of what I might find. If I get sanctified, I don't know what... I'm just afraid and the devil will insert whatever you want. I can't keep it or I can't... There's all kinds of excuses that will come up. This is what... This is what... He's more concerned about uh, a coyote's wolves in the mountains, right. then he's concerned about the fire of God coming yeah, down yeah, from the yeah. sky. 
Really? Why? I can't go to the mountain lest thou be consumed. And listen to what they say. This is pretty remarkable. If you ever um, think God's not hearing your prayer, take courage. Behold now, this is this city is near to flee unto, and it's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. So there in the plain, you've got one little city, and it's off to the side over here, and Lot says, well, just, just, I'll go over there. How about I just go to this city? I don't want to go to the mountains. And so he's still not, he's not ready to make a full commitment to obey God, to listen to God, to trust God. And so over here is this little city called Zoar. And then, here's what happens. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar, and then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, Christ had told us, and later, many years later, when Christ That's told right. his disciples, he said, Remember Lot's wife. Don't forget her. Why? She looked back. The heart, brother, talked about last night, her heart. She was leaving. Her body was leaving, but her heart was still behind her. And she wanted to go back. She didn't want to leave. It was a condition of her heart. And so his wife's gone. And now it's just Lot and his two daughters. <clears throat> all right, where was I? And Abram, all right, let me skip down. I need to jump down a little bit. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain. He and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Well, what happened is Lot had a little change of heart when he saw the destruction, when he saw the smoke and he felt the heat of the fire and the smell of burning flesh and the agony and the destruction that was all throughout that plain and everything was burned up and the crops were burned up and the trees were burned up. And he realized that God's really destroyed. And all of a sudden, the mountain didn't look too scary anymore. And he's out of Zoar. The angel didn't have to hold his hand. That Nobody had to tell him to go. He decided he was ready to obey God. Now, this, is re this really happened. This is a real story. But I believe this morning the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, back to that first exhortation. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. That's this group over here. That's the group that has no interest. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Because God's just and God's righteous. And sin will He will execute judgment on sin. It is appointed unto men 
once to die, and after this, the judgment. I hear this statement, and I don't mean to be critical, but maybe it's a cliche we've had around that people say when they pass, they just sweep right into glory, and it's just good night down here and good morning up there. I don't believe you can use the Scripture to convince me of that. Everyone will stand before God in judgment. The most righteous saint, the most heathen sinner, they will all stand. There is going to be a period of time of judgment for everyone. And everyone will be judged according to the deeds done in the body. And according to what this Scripture is telling me, there is a that God is not happy with a double-minded man. Right. You may think, our see, our way of justice is that's an improvement from the full-blown uh, sinner that loves his sin. And, and I suppose in society that is, they sure make better neighbors. But let me tell you, when, God, when you stand before God in judgment, sin will be judged. Whether they're big or little, they're all sins to God. They're transgressions against His commandment. And His call has come out. Come out. Come out. Judgment's coming. The fire is coming. It's real. And God sends people to take you. Let's go. Let's get out. And we're going to the mountain. We're not staying anywhere near here. We're getting completely out. All the way. We're totally giving our lives to God. And we're not looking back. And He'll change your heart. He can change you. This is real. It happens. It does. And those the world denies it. And those all kinds people will say it's not true. Some people come and claim an experience, maybe think they really have an experience, can't figure out how to get over the double minded. God's got a cure. He has a cure this morning. Would anyone like to recognize this morning that God is making a call to get out, to get out of sin and escape, run for your life? And linger not on the storm-covered plain. Will the congregation stand? Will we all pray for you?